The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. Now, there is a new book out called This Won't Hurt How Medicine Fails Women. Uh, and the author is Marika Big. And uh, the thesis of the book is that medicine is not gender blind, but that rather it is geared towards the service of men to the disservice of women. And Marika Big is with us uh, this morning. Marika, good morning. Good morning. Hi. Uh, can you flesh out the thesis a little bit? The evidence for your suggestion that women are, mm. are, are hard done by by the medical profession. Explain. Sure. Yeah. So um, so the, the starting premise really is that there's societal power imbalances, which we all know, that shape medicine and the ideas we hold about bodies. And this determines who is heard, which bodies matter, and which people's needs are prioritized in medicine. So this idea that, you know, the medical knowledge we have is gender neutral is actually not true. When you start to look at the knowledge we do hold, it applies predominantly to male bodies, not female bodies. And a lot of the areas that matter predominantly to female bodies have just been marginalized, excluded or dismissed within medicine. Such as? Um, so, for example, gynecology, you know, this <laughs> this field very closely associated with women and also the f- sort of female identity is an area that doesn't get as much funding. First of all, there's not as much um, research funding going into into that area, but also it's not taken as seriously scientifically. So it's not an area that as a scientist, maybe things are slowly changing. But in the past, definitely it wouldn't be an area that um, is considered to be as scientifically advanced somewhere you really want to make your career as a a scientist. Um, In the book, I use the term sexy science. So, you know, these areas that are sort of sexy, cutting edge. um, And that means not as many researchers are working in these fields. That means not as many findings are emerging from these fields. And that also leaves a big void of knowledge around women's bodies in that area. Endometriosis is a really good example here, um, which has been, you know, more widely documented in recent years. It takes a really long time to get diagnosed um, if you have endometriosis um, and, you know, the, the tools available to diagnose it, diagnose it are really minimal. Um, so, again, this is where further research would really benefit a lot of women with this very life inhibiting um, disease. And when you say gynecology doesn't get the same kind of uh, interest and the, the same kind of funding, as what? As a field like cancer research, um, cardiology, um, these fields that, you know, are well established as, you know, very important, urgent areas of medicine that apply to both men and women, but also tend to form around the needs of male bodies rather than female bodies in cardiology, for example heart attack it's now coming to light more is doesn't present in the same way for men as uh, uh, for women as it does for men so the classic chest pain for example might not um might not um uh, appear for a woman um so she might have more symptoms that are very similar to me- the symptoms we associate with menopause so um sweating um hot flashes this kind of thing and actually often the symptoms of heart attack in women are mistaken for menopause. It takes, again, a long time for women to get the help they need there. So, yeah, this is this is an example of, of funding going towards these fields that matter to both men and women, but tend to be focused mainly on men. And to what do you attribute the cause of this? Um, you know, it's, it's this patriarchal kind of 
power imbalance that's really baked into the ideas we hold about men and women. And, you know, one of the big points I make in the book is doctors, medical professional scientists, science doesn't exist apart from society. It's very much embedded in society. These are people holding the same biases and views as the rest of us. So it makes sense that these cultural ideas about men and women have also shaped medicine as a field from the very beginning. Um, so it's really these these implicit biases that that shape the questions that are being asked. You know, and is it, is it your thesis that those implicit biases are present as much within female medical professions as they are within men, or is this a male problem? This is not solely a male problem. It's a question that I'm getting a lot. Um, I'm saying it's in it's inherent to the system, um, this way of thinking. So you know, the way medical professionals are trained. Um, that, you know, not being properly alerted to these these gender imbalances mean that both men and women will be susceptible to that kind of thinking and both men and women need to do the work of trying to be more attuned to gender differences. Well, take the endometriosis as, as a case in point. If, mm-hmm. if in Ireland you present with symptoms um, of endometriosis, you are going to travel through probably a, a 50-50 gender split. Primary care is about 50-50 male-female. Um, obstetrics and gynaecology is about 45% female. The nursing staff, 90% female. So in that instance, is it that the the women aren't properly believing other women, the same as the men don't? Is that the problem? I mean, it is true that, you know, just as we all internalise misogyny, um, that when you're being trained within a system that is just more attuned to the needs of men, you're going to hold these sort these sorts of ideas. But it's not just that, you know, doctors won't always take their patients seriously. It's when the knowledge is lacking, when there's no tools or, you know, there isn't a clear path to send a woman down to get diagnosed, it's less likely that they'll be able to respond with with the adequate care and help and that might lead to women feeling like they're being dismissed. And how do you separate separate out the gender issues as causative? Because undoubtedly there will be men who will say, well, look, I went to a doctor and I got misdiagnosed or it took me several months or years to get a diagnosis, a la the endometriosis example. How do you know what is substandard medical care and what is gender-based substandard medical care? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day when I'm, you know, I I do a broad scope of research and and the whole field. And it's just true that women have been very closely identified with their bodies and their reproductive capacity in society. So I think that that sort of like gendered um, view is very pervasive for women within medicine in a sort of in a sort of on an individual case to case basis. Of course, it's always really difficult to unpick the dynamics. But in the end, gender is something, and I also make this point in the book, excluding women from science and excluding um, their issues from science isn't just bad for women, it's just bad science. And it's something that has shaped medicine overall. So a lot of these issues within medicine that maybe, you know, lead to substandard care are also related to gendered, gendered dynamics for both men and for women. So it's, it's something that, you know, it's just, it's, it, it, it impacts us all. 
It also seems to be counterintuitive um, or, or counter-expectations, judging by the texts that we're getting. Um, please ask, how come f- spending on female medicine is twice that of men and why do women live longer and get sick less often? Another, healthcare for women is far better than for men. Look at the coverage of breast cancer and cervical cancer gets, both in terms of medical treatment and, and media coverage, compared to uh, prostate cancer. Hmm, yeah, I don't know. I, d- I also don't think we can equate... Um, coverage or, or you know, attention with adequate care. I think it's very difficult to ascertain the experience that people have when they go and try to get the medical care they need. And I think there's been a relative silence, actually, and a lot of stigma around a lot of the issues that really matter to women um, that haven't been adequately spoken about. Breast cancer is one that gets a lot of attention, but what things like that do is they also create a kind of misrepresentation of the issues that do matter to women. Um, Heart disease is the primary cause of death for women, but, you know, breast cancer gets a lot more attention, but heart disease kills six times more women than heart disease. So um, I I think we need to be really careful before we, we, we think that the work is, work is done. Well, on the topic, and, and briefly, if you would, of getting the work done, what can be done to solve this? Um, so lots of really simple things, actually. Um, it was really heartening to see as I was doing my research that very simple changes can make all the difference, often bureaucratic, just organizing care around predictable moments in a woman's lifespan, for example, where we know that um certain biological vulnerabilities are on mass. So there's a, for example, a postnatal check um, and pregnancy unmasks a lot of um, a woman's vulnerabilities that might lead to health problems later in life, like heart disease. If you have heart disease while you're pregnant later in life, you're likely to experience heart problems. So a postnatal check where they screen for these potential um, issues in the future could make a massive difference to women's health across the lifespan. Marika, thank you very much for coming on this morning. That is Dr. Marika Big, who is author of This Won't Hurt How Medicine Failed Women. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.